0: Our Father, we ask now that you'd open our hearts and minds to understand your word and to treasure your kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, way back in 1999, uh, the Matrix movie came out starring Keanu Reeves. Actually, I think there's been four Matrix movies and uh, one last year came out called Matrix Resurrection. A little word to the wise, when a movie franchise actually gets to put resurrection in the title of the latest movie, that's code for, there's no more juice in this lemon, but we're going to make the movie anyway. So I saved two hours of my life, apparently it was a dog. But 1999, Keanu Reeves has to choose whether he's going to have the red pill or the blue pill. I don't want to spoil it, but he takes a pill and all of a sudden he can see the world in a whole different way. Now, that is what the truth, we're going to look at the Bible tonight, and that is, when you do actually believe this, and God opens your eyes, you can see the world in a different way. In fact, you'll be able to see a kingdom at work in our world that affects everything, all of life. Uh, A kingdom that most people don't know about, most people don't acknowledge, they don't see it, and yet it affects their life in every way. And I mean, of course, the kingdom of the evil one. It's a picture of Mount Quaritania, not far from the city of Jericho. It is the supposed site where the devil te- tempted the Lord Jesus. Of course, it's now got a cable car and a restaurant for tourists, etc., etc. But listen to what Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him, that's the Lord, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Uh, sorry showed him all the kings of the world and their splendor all this I will give you he said if you will bow down and worship me all the kingdoms of the world is it a, a genuine offer well we'll see in a moment he's called the god of this age actually he's called the god of this age even after the resurrection interesting and the people of our world are the ones who follow him um Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you what? Follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, what's the kingdom of the air mean? Let me quote to you from uh, Peter O'Brien's commentary on Ephesians. He says this, according to the ancient world, the air formed the intermediate sphere between the earth and heaven. It was the dwelling place of the evil spirits. And so the great work of the devil is not heads spinning around and green vomit, etc., as per the movies. The great work of the devil in our country is not through the church of the Satanists, but through the indifference that comes through materialism and comfort and wealth and hedonism, and as Jayanne said, the other false gods. And what's the great work of the devil? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this age, notice what he's called, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In fact, the devil is the one that comes and snatches away the word from people who don't understand Uh, the power of the sower. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the king, notice the message about the kingdom. The kingdom just keeps coming up. Anyway, I'll say about the kingdom and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And here's the thing, Jesus explicitly frames his mission as coming to destroy the works of the evil one. 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the evil one. Uh, and Jesus, what? To bring in the kingdom of God. Now, I hope tonight you get complete... like overflow with the kingdom kingdom and and how it's soaked through scripture. In fact, I, I went away a little bit of my OCD and I counted up how many times Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. Same thing, he just doesn't use the word kingdom of God because it's written to a more Jewish audience. But here we go, Matthew chapter, um, in Matthew, 48 times about the kingdom, Mark 14 times, Luke 34 times, and John five times. Now, John, not so many times, but at absolutely key times, like when he speaks to Pontius Pilate, total 101. Okay, so when does the kingdom arrive? When will the kingdom come? Now, there are some inverted scholars who say, well, it was all in Jesus' mind and it was all future. Now, have you ever heard that, or the, heard, it quoted or misquoted, that famous quote from Albert Schweitzer about, you know, Jesus was an apocalyptic prophet and he threw himself on the, on the wheel of history. And let me read it to you. Here it is. It's from uh, Albert Schweitzer's book, The Quest for the Historical Jesus. Here we go. The Baptist appears and cries, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Soon after that comes Jesus in the knowledge that he is the coming Son of Man. He lays hold on the wheel of the world to set it in, sorry, to set it moving on that last revolution, which is to bring all ordinary history to a close. It refuses to turn, and he throws himself upon it. Then it does turn and crushes him. Instead of bringing in eschatological, instead of sorry, in bringing, instead of bringing in the eschatological conditions, he has destroyed them. The wheel rolls onward and the mangled body of one immeasurably great man who was strong enough to think of himself as a spiritual ruler of mankind and to bend history to his purpose is hanging on it still. That is his victory and his reign. What wonderful writing and what total nonsense. Um, The quest for the historical Jesus, no, 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 it should be called ignoring the historical Jesus. Anyway, let's have a look at what Jesus really said and did. For Jesus, the kingdom is future. Right? So, Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus begins that those three magnificent parables with this phrase. At that time, uh, in the future, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and then he tells those three parables. The parable of the 10 virgins, be ready. The parable of the talents, right, be serving. And that terrible, really, um, a parable of the sheep and the goats and the great division that will come so the kingdom's future finish this sentence. our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come praying that god's kingdom would come or uh, at the end of the sermon on the mount the warning to those who would read the sermon he says this not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father Uh, my father in heaven many will say to me on that day etc so the kingdom's future but the kingdom is also present present as he speaks present now so the difference between john the baptist preaching as i said last night and jesus preaching is this in jesus the kingdom has arrived you notice um how he kicks off in uh sorry how, how jesus begins his preaching in mark chapter 1 verse 15 the time has come he said the kingdom of god has come near repent I spent all the time wondering, I wonder what he means by the kingdom of uh, God has come near. And I missed the first phrase. The time has come. Right? It's here. It's here as he arrives. And Jesus talks about the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. What? Things that can be found or owned. Now, that's what he's saying. Or uh, how clear is it when he says in Luke 17, 20 to 21, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. I think he means where he is. Although the word in the midst, it could also be translated as within you. A little bit of debate about how to translate that word. Or even clearer, Luke chapter 16, verse 16, he says... The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. People enter the kingdom now. So in the gospels, the kingdom is here in Jesus, is here now, and yet in the future is still to come, still to be consummated. Now, it would be handy uh, if the apostle Paul had thought the same way about it, of course he does. I'm just messing with you. Um, <laughs> let me show you. Paul's exactly the same. Um, I had you though, didn't I? I had you. Oh, no. okay. Now let me show you. In the, with the Apostle Paul, the kingdom is future. Here we go. Um, One Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty. He says, "I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. That's very future. Or uh, 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue you from every evil attack and will bring, sorry, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Future, but it's also present, also present. Um, Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, and, and speak in the past tense, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Future, yes, but present here now, the present and the future. And what will happen in the meantime between our Lord taught and now, Matthew twenty four fourteen, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Now, it is interesting, the preaching of the gospel, I'll say more about this on Thursday, the preaching of the gospel is not preaching the church, they're preaching the kingdom. How? The lordship of Jesus. Now, one more thing before I kind of uh, I get to the last few points, and that is, is the kingdom of God the Father's kingdom or the Son's kingdom? Well, the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Or right. well, Jesus tells his disciples the night before he dies, I tell you I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new uh, with you in my Father's kingdom. And yet Jesus tells Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. I think Jesus puts it beautifully, it's the Father's kingdom and the Son's kingdom. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus speaks to his disciples about them ruling with him. And he says, I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me. The Father's kingdom that he gives to the Son as the Son rules as his king. Now, what I'd like to do uh, is show you just how much the kingdom, because when you look for this in the, in the New Testament, as you read it, it's just everywhere, uh, how much the kingdom is just interlaced with everything about the Christian life, right? and, and, and show you that. Now, I've got six things to show you, and my guess is it'll feel a little bit like this, um, but um, don't worry, you'll probably swallow some of the good stuff, okay? You're going to miss stuff, that's all right, but here we go. Okay. One, it is a supernatural kingdom. Now, I'm going to read you the biggest quote you will have ever heard read in a Bible talk. You should never, if you're a beginning preacher or an old preacher, you should never read a really long quote unless the audience is highly intelligent, highly motivated and discerning. So we're ready to go, aren't we, folks, right? Okay. It's a quote from G.E. Ladd um, in the Elwell Dictionary of Theology. I read this quote. I just fell in love with it. There are about 23 different Bible references in this. I just can't fit it in the Bible references. And sadly, it was written in 1984. Actually, this is a longer intro than the quote, but anyway. Um, it was written in 1984, so it was before gender-inclusive language. So um, Professor Ladd talks about men, Right. And he means folks, not blokes. But I, I, I'm, I'm just going to... Yeah, okay. I thought about that one. I Here we go. The kingdom is supernatural. Listen. As the dynamic activity of God's rule, the kingdom is supernatural. It is God's deed. Only the supernatural act of God can destroy Satan, defeat death, raise the dead in incorruptible bodies to inherit the blessings of the kingdom and transfer, transform the world order. The same supernatural rule of God has invaded the kingdom of Satan to deliver men from bondage of Satanic darkness. The parable of the seed growing by itself sets forth the truth. The ground brings forth fruit of itself. Men may sow the seed by preaching the kingdom. They can persuade men concerning the kingdom, but they cannot build it. It is God's deed. Men can receive the kingdom, but they can never be said to establish it. Men can reject the kingdom and refuse to receive it or enter it, but they cannot destroy it. They can look for it, pray for its coming and seek it, but they cannot bring it. The kingdom is altogether God's deed, although it works in and through men. Men may do things for the sake of the kingdom, work for it, suffer for it, but they are not said to act upon the kingdom itself. They can inherit it, but they cannot bestow it on others. It is God's supernatural kingdom. Kingdom of God is all powerful. You will not, no one can stop it. It will grow. God will bring it. Two, it is a kingdom for all nations. In the climactic scene, well, before the crucifixion, but in the climactic scene in Matthew's gospel of Jesus dealing with the religious leaders, when they've rejected him again and again, he says this to them. And notice it's about the kingdom. He says in Matthew 21, verse 43, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And so two two or three chapters later, he says in chapter 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And when you have a picture of the end in the book of Revelation, uh, as, uh, as the whole of creation um, sings the praises of the Lamb who was slain and, you know, uh, Jesus who died, what do they say? Revelation 5, nine. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God, purchased for God who? Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation and you made them to be... A kingdom of priests to serve our God. People from every tribe and language and nation. Three, a kingdom in conflict but victorious. The kingdom of God is in conflict with the kingdom of the evil one. There's no dualism in the Bible. This is not an arm wrestle between equal powers. God is completely in control. The, the devil is a, like a dog on a leash can only go as far as God allows. Now, some people look for demons at work today and yes, they're still in some cultures, yes. There's other people obsessed about them. There's demons under every bed, behind every pot plant. If you go to demonbusters.com, there's a couple here that I, I like. There's the, you may have the demon of smoking. Be good to stop. There are a couple though that I have pretty frequent contact with. Uh, That is Boyce and Boyce, the electronic malfunction demons. Now, I I didn't make that up. But um, anyway, I think they're serious. Um, In the New Testament, the ministry of Jesus is in conflict with evil spirits. Yes, and that conflict is focused into the Gospels. But that may, may be called the unusual work of the devil. The usual work of the devil... Well, in John chapter 8, Jesus tells us he's the father of lies. And didn't Rob Smith expose for us terrible lies at the moment and the damage they're doing, particularly to young ones in our society? John chapter 8, he's the father of lies. In that same chapter, Jesus says those very famous words, the truth will set you free. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us how Jesus' death breaks the power of Satan by removing guilt from God's people, etc. I don't, I don't have time to go to Hebrews now. But it's very clear that the way the New Testament thinks of becoming a Christian is to go, well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, "...for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us where? into the kingdom of the Son he loves." And every one of us, if you're a true believer, you have been rescued from one king and kingdom and brought into another. Perhaps not in that same wonderful way or obvious way that Jayanne was brought from one kingdom to another. But we still need eyes to see that that's what God has done. That the devil is fatally wounded and yet fatally wounded and out to make as much, create as much havoc as possible. The roaring lion looks for someone to devour. When I said about the, the two pills and the matrix thing about how you see the world, it's very confronting to believe that. Why? Because no one's neutral. All of those people that out there, the people also the people we know and love who are happily cruising along, not thinking about the devil ignoring Jesus, means they belong to the dark kingdom. Five quick points on that. One Our world is a supernatural war zone, or sorry, a spiritual war zone. Two, fought especially on the ground of truth and lies about God and the Lord Jesus. No one is neutral. Four, most people live happily ignoring God, believing the lies of the evil one are in the kingdom of the evil one. And five, it takes the kindness of God to open people's eyes to see who Jesus is. And yet Jesus links the final judgment of the devil to his kingdom as well. Uh, at the end of those three uh, great parables that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25, he says this, after he divides the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25:41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. i have to give a talk in a week or so at St. Lucia uh, in Brisbane uh, for, uh, yes, yeah, St. Lucia Bible Church. Roy's, Roy's asked me to speak on hell. I always find it very, very troubling. Um, anyway, fourth, a change, of, uh, a change of pace. A kingdom of invitation, forgiveness and joy. There you go. A kingdom of invitation, forgiveness and joy. The great, one of of the many criticisms that the Lord Jesus had of the religious teachers of his day. Well, let me show you Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. Why? You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. There's a kingdom again. They shut the door in people's faces to the kingdom of heaven. And what does Jesus come? He's come to throw the door wide open. And isn't it interesting, as the Lord Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, what does he teach? About wedding banquets and feasts. Um, Luke chapter 14, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this. He said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing what? A great banquet and invited many guests. The kingdom of feasting and joy and, and forgiveness. You know the parable about the confronting parable about Um, the the unforgiving servant yeah we call it that but you know really we should call it the forgiving master look at how it starts Matthew let me read it to you Matthew chapter 18 verse 23 therefore the kingdom of heaven is what is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants and it begins with him forgiving this servant billions of dollars of debt he could never pay back or joy The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, what? In his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Or even the apostle Paul. I don't know how anyone can not love Paul if they've read him. He says this, Romans chapter 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of what? Of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All a kingdom of first priority. We all know our Lord says, Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, let's do something really radical. Let's open the Bible. Get your Bible out. I want to show you something. In Luke chapter nine, and when you've been sitting there half asleep, Luke chapter nine Verse 51 is the turning point in Luke's gospel where uh, Jesus realizes or decides now it's time to walk to Jerusalem. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Um, actually, literally what it says, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He walked that 140 kilometers or so and time it knowing that, that he will die before Passover or at Passover time. When you get to the end of that chapter, Notice there's three little cameo disciples or would-be disciples. But look particularly at the last two. Isn't it interesting? He says, um, uh, verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father, which is the, the ultimate family obligation in that culture. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and what? Proclaim... The kingdom of God meaning what the proclamation of the kingdom serving in the kingdom is more urgent rates a higher priority than even burying your father now in context of course once you begin to follow Jesus the first thing Jesus will say is honor your father and mother right? he's saying Jesus and the kingdom are higher than a higher priority than even your parents The second one's a little more subtle. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, if you've had your quiet time in 1 Kings 19 recently, you'll know when God tells Elijah to go and call Elisha, or Elisha, depending on how you say it, to call him to be a prophet after Elijah, Elijah literally throws the mantle, passes the mantle, his his robe, to Elisha. And Elisha says, I'll follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Elijah says, Go and do that. You know, what have I done to you? It's a big call. Okay. What does Jesus say? Verse 62. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is what? Fit for service in the kingdom of God. Notice the kingdom there twice? Um, uh, The ultimate priority, the kingdom of God. More urgent, more important or a higher priority than any family relationship. More urgent, more compelling than the call of Elijah. Six, a kingdom of service. I love it the way that Matthew uh, includes a detail that Mark doesn't when it comes to James and John asking about left and right hand in jesus kingdom you see matthew chapter 20 verse 20 then the mother of zebedee's sons came to jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him hard to believe unless you've ever had a mother um uh, what is it you want he asked she said grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left where in your kingdom in your kingdom she's expecting his kingdom to come soon and jesus answer i won't read the whole passage but jesus answer is you don't know what you're asking yes you will suffer with me drink this cup and then the rulers of our world lord it over people but what is it to look like in jesus kingdom matthew chapter 20 verse 26 he says not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave Why? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So to be in his kingdom is to take up your cross, say no to self and to follow him. And so to become a servant of our Lord and so to serve others. Now there's six points. And I reckon there's a sermon application in all six. The kingdom is supernatural, a kingdom for all nations, a kingdom in conflict, but but ultimately victory, a kingdom of invitation, forgiveness and joy, a kingdom of first priority, and a kingdom of service. Let me just do one. Let me do the one that I need to hear, because maybe you do too. Earlier this year in the USA, uh, A story broke about a young man who was a pastor in a large church and he'd uh, crashed and burned uh, uh, for moral failure, which which deeply saddens me. I won't say the name of the church. But there was an article in Vanity Fair magazine that talked about a typical Sunday for him. Let me read to you what a typical Sunday for this young pastor was. Quote from Vanity Fair taking a chauffeured car to the church's rear entrance and then a private elevator to the green room, sitting in the green room watching sports, sometimes chatting with celebrities or athletes who dropped in. When it's time for the service to begin, he sits in a special section surrounded by his people, the staffer says, and then he goes on stage and then he leaves. He never actually interacts with the people he ministers to. The bad side of me reads that and thinks, whoa, I've been working for the wrong churches for a long time. You thought it too. You thought it too. We are to be servants, not celebrities. And boy, it's easier in theory than in the real world, isn't it? With real people. People who are difficult. I've hit 60. In the last... of oh, 63, sorry. In the last three years, I just noticed the whole world's become idiots. I don't know what... I don't know what changed. Something changed. I don't know what it was. I can't work it out. And I, I just have trouble remembering... Like, I'll tell a story. It's just us, because it's about one of my kids. You, but just us. And the internet. Um, one of our daughters got a job at Kmart. She was about 15. I just, just old enough to get that job. And she worked on a cash register. And what would happen is people would come um, and buy all sorts of stuff on sale and take it home and and then, you know, pull the tags off it or whatever and then and then bring it back and then want it put through and want a refund. And the, the queues would be really long and they would be rude to her or people would bring stuff without price tags on it and she's under a lot of pressure, people rude, et etc. et cetera. And after she'd been there a couple of weeks, she came home and she said, Dad, I... I hate the customers at Kmart. And I said, yeah, I know, honey. She said, no, no, Dad, you don't understand. I want to hurt them. <laughs> <Damn>. Now, for, <laughs> she had looked inside herself and seen this dark place. Uh, uh, now, it has a happy ending because a couple of weeks later, she resigned and no one got hurt. Okay, that was all right. Now, I'm not quite there. But boy, do I need to learn patience with people. It, it's not that I'm looking to be a celebrity, but ah, serving people's hard work, isn't it? Being patient with people, patient with complaints and people who make stupid decisions and keep on making them or people who just won't get with the program. or ah. If you're in a leader, leadership position, and my guess is most of us are in some way or another, yeah sure you'll you'll have to lead and you'll have to do things that people don't like. And yeah you'll get crossed off christmas card lists because you've had to make hard decisions. I understand that. But we me i uh, need to learn patience and humility and remember that we are just servants of the lord who was the ultimate servant. And as we are as we treat people with patience and humility Um, we serve the Lord who will grow his supernatural kingdom. And it's that Lord who notices and sees and says, greatness is found in service in his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we ask please that we might see your kingdom. Please give us eyes to see, hearts to treasure the lordship of Jesus. Please make us servants, willing servants, servants who find joy in the work that we might serve the Lord Jesus and so serve others. And we ask this in his name. Amen.